Genesis chapter 4, verse number 1. And I have left my glasses somewhere, so we'll see how well this goes. Amen. Genesis 4 and verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and all the parents of young children are thankful that doesn't say other things there that you have to go home and explain tonight. Lighten up a little bit. And she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man or a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. This really is foundational of the primary thing that drew my attention to this passage, but we're going to take our time getting there. I want to draw your attention specifically to the second half of verse 2. Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. I guess for the sake of a title tonight, I will ask you, are are you a keeper or a tiller? Are you a keeper or a tiller? Father, thank you for the privilege of being in your presence tonight. Thank you for this opportunity you've given us to come together. Thank you for your spirit that's already ministered in this place through our praise, through our prayer. Thank you for already touching hearts and lives here tonight. God, I'm asking you now that you would minister through your word, that you would speak to us. God, I pray that you would speak in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I have no desire to just take up time because that's what's expected I want to be a a vessel, a conduit that you can flow and speak through. In the name of Jesus Christ, give us ears to hear, hearts that are open to receive. Let something of eternal significance and value not only be said, but be accomplished in this place tonight, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you may be seated. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now obviously, both of these things, and especially in this setting where this, when this verse is referring to, but even still today, these two things are very needed. We need people that can be keepers of sheep and other types of livestock, and we need people who can work the ground and produce food for us to eat. So in one context, both of these are extremely important things. They're very valuable. They each have a very important role and place. 
But in the context of tonight, I guess I'd like to communicate this to you in a way that demonstrates that one of these, from a kingdom perspective, is a little more the preferred option. So the, let me start with the word keeper. I want to give you the Hebrew definitions here for the word keeper and the word tiller. And I remind some of you and perhaps inform others of you the reason that I'm doing that is because the Bible's not originally in English. The Old Testament was in Hebrew and the New Testament was in Greek and it helps to know and understand the meaning of some words, especially sometimes when there's much more to the meaning of the original word than there is to the meaning of the word in our language. So, the word keeper, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, these are the meanings of that word. To pasture, to tend, to graze, to feed. It is to shepherd. It is used of a ruler. It is used of a teacher. It is used of people as a flock figuratively. A shepherd or a herdsman. It also is to associate with, to be a friend of. It's to associate with, to be companions, to be a special friend. And so the job that Abel had was caring for, taking care of something that was breathing and living. Obviously the plants that... uh, Abel, or excuse me, Cain grew, were alive, but not in the same context as a living, breathing animal. And the importance to you and I tonight is we are throughout Scripture referred to as sheep. So Abel's profession, Abel's focus, if you will, was the care of the the, the, the providing for, the oversight, if I could say it in this context, the ministry to sheep. That was his, that was his livelihood. That is, that was his focus. The word tiller, again, for, well, first according to Strong's, I, I want you to notice some of the meanings here. Of this word. According to Strong's, it's a primitive root and it means to work in any sense by implication to serve till causatively to enslave. Then, according to Thayer's, it means the following to work, to serve, to labor, to do work, to work for another. To serve another by labor, to serve as subjects, to be worked, to be tilled, to make oneself a servant, to compel to labor or work, to cause to labor, to cause to serve, to cause to serve as subjects, to be led or enticed to serve. And then it also means, or excuse me, that's reading on and I'm not ready to do that yet. There, there is a difference in these two words, in the definition of these words, in that as a keeper of sheep, 
the keeper of sheep had oversight of, had control of, watched for, took care of. And I realize that within the definition of this word tiller, there are some things that have to do with farming, if you will, but there is a, there's sort of an underlying theme that you hear throughout the definition of this word tiller, going back to what Strong's says it means, and that is to serve, to till, but causatively to enslave. So as a keeper or a tiller, are you controlled by, are you governed by things that should not have control of you? This is one of those nights in which there's a lot of stuff in here that I hope it gets out here the way it's up here. <laughs> so work with me. To be the subject of, to, to work for, to cause to labor. And I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to over, um, over analyze or over symbolize if there is such a thing. That's the way to say it. But I want you to notice that all of these, this idea of service and enslaved and, and all of that is, it had to do with Cain whose primary focus was something that was produced from the earth. It was something that was earthly. And if you and I are not careful, our focus can become what is earthly. And our lives can be governed by what is earthly. And we can be obsessed with what is earthly. And so, verse 3, In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So Abel brings as his offering sheep, something that for it to be an offering, life had to be given. Something had to die. Something lost its life. But Cain brings the substance of the earth. What he had worked to produce as, as, uh, as a crop. And the Bible says that God had respect unto one 
but not the other. That tells me that I cannot approach God with a take it or leave it attitude. I'm going to give you what I want to give you on my terms. Oh, oh, I'll give you something, but it's going to be my way. I'm going to give you what I want to give you. And, and, and I realize this is only the, uh, what is it, chapter 3, chapter 4. This is only the fourth chapter of the Bible. And, and so this is the, the beginning of recorded history, if you will, with regards to man. And, and I realize there's, we don't know of all kinds of scripture prior, we don't know of scripture prior to this point that outlines what God expected. But if God is a just and a loving God, and I believe He is, it would not be just if there was not some communication in some form or fashion that had been given as to what was expected. How fair would it be for Cain to bring his offering of what he had grown from the ground and God not accept that if there had been nothing communicated about what was expected. At the very least, what we think he should have known is the story that his parents experienced when they were being in the process of having to leave the garden after they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and now their eyes are open, they've got understanding they didn't have before. They tried to fix their problem with natural things, earthly things. But God says, if you're going to cover something, if you're going to fix a problem, something's got to die. There's got to be some blood shed. So at the very least, Cain had that example but chooses to bring what he wants to give. I, I was standing in line at Kohl's this morning. I needed some socks for my trip, so I was getting some Kohl's. I was getting some Kohl's. I was getting some socks. And the lady in line in front of me and the lady at the register, well, actually the lady before her, they had... That lady checking out and the cashier apparently knew each other and some, it, the impression was they weren't like relatives or best friends, but they were acquaintances and they were taking a few moments to get reacquainted. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. And in the course of that conversation, something came up about her cat and that they had to put down a year ago and, and uh, so the next lady in line happened to carry on the conversation and they continued with uh, the lady behind the res register, that cat as well as their dog were rescue animals and the lady checking out has been involved in, you know, making sure animals get taken care of and it was just this all gooey ooey conversation about how wonderful and lovely it was and, and whatever. The bottom line is when something living and breathing dies, there is a higher value to that than you picking a piece of fruit off a tree or picking, you know, a tomato or cauliflower or whatever else. 
the, the cost, the value, whether you're an, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I would not be considered an animal lover, okay? And no offense. No offense. No offense. I would not be, I'm not an animal hater. I'm not an animal abuser, but I am not an animal lover. I appreciate God making them and the more I see the dogs in my neighborhood walking their people, the more I decide there ain't nobody that walks their dog. I'm sorry. When it's minus six degree wind chill factor outside and you're walking around holding a leash with a plastic bag in your hand, you are getting walked. You are not walking. But my, my point is, my point is, I'm, I, 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 there is a difference, even as a non, you know, overly loving animal person. I, I don't know what it, I'm telling you what, man, dogs have radar for people that aren't crazy about them. They have radar. I go into somebody's house or a place of business that may have, I went, I went a couple months back, both my boys had Bibles that needed to be rebound the edges, and and I took them to a place up in Glen Burnie. And I walk in the office, man. They got two big old dogs, and I'm telling you what, man. I don't know, I don't know how they communicate with each other, but they're. I'm telling you, they saw me walk in, and they were talking to each other. Here it come, let's get him. <laughs> they're all up, and I'm like. <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't in the military, but I'm feeling that. <laughs> anyway, I, I know I'm not trying to make any, I know we got some, we got some, we got some animal folks here tonight. You're not an animal, but you, you know, so I'm. My, my, my point is, I, 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 I understand, I recognize, Brother Lewis, there's still, there's something different. Not the same, a, a, a living vegetable is not the same as a living animal. And when, when, when uh, Abel brings those sheep as a sacrifice, there's, there's a lot more attachment, I am sure. There's a lot greater attachment that he had to that lamb than Cain had to his vegetables. Oh, hallelujah. Hopefully before we're done tonight, you'll, you'll walk out here thinking this had some relevance and value because right now I'm not sure you think that, but it's only five after eight, so I got time to try to get there. It's one thing to bring your fruit of the ground. It's a whole nother thing when you're bringing something that you've got a level of attachment to. The care for those lambs, much different than the care for those crops. And unfortunately, if we're not careful, all of us can get enslaved by things that we're willing to give God a portion of it. But God's looking for something much different. And so to Abel, God had respect to his offering. 
but unto Cain he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. James said Fawcett and Brown, just to give a little more insight to this idea of the difference in these, and there's much more you can study if you want to, but in short, Cain exhibited the first example of an unbeliever who rejected all light but that of his own reason, confided in the general benignity and goodness of the divine character, and flattered himself that in offering a portion of his property as a token of his gratitude for all he possessed, the tribute would be accepted of whatever quantity it consisted or in whatever form it was rendered. God, I'm going to give you what I want to give you, and you got you just got to take it. I'll give you, but it's on my terms. His offering was defective and offered in a spirit of determined will Worship. This was the error of Cain, a renunciation of the benefits of the instituted mode of atonement for sin and going about to establish a righteousness of his own. I got something to give you, God, but it, I'm giving you what I want, how I want. And God says, I, I don't want you giving me what you want to give me, how you want to give me. I want you giving what I expect. I want you giving what I want. But Cain was enslaved by some things. Cain was in bondage to some things. And so he was only willing to give a portion. God, I'll give you a couple of hours a week. God, I'll... I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you some stuff, but don't expect something to die. Don't expect something to have to lose its life. How? I'll, I'll give. I've got something I'm willing to give as long as it's on my terms. The rich young ruler, Lord, what? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I want eternal life, but there is a price tag I have on it. How many of you, I'm not really setting you up for a trick question, so you're free to respond. How many of you want God to use you? How many of you want to be a part of whatever ministry God has for you? I believe that, but the next question is, what is your price tag? What is your price tag? I want it, but there's only so far I'm willing to go. I, I want it, God. I really want, but but I'm. I, it's got to be on these terms. You ever walk through the store and something caught your eye? Clothes or electronic or an accessory, whatever. Oh, man, <laughs> I need that. Maybe it's a maybe it's clothing and you you start trying it on and you look in the mirror man boy I need this and let me let me let me see how I'm, oh I don't need that 
No, I don't need that. That looked real good back on the shelf. Why? Because as much as I may be interested in it, there's only so much I'm willing to pay. And I realize I'm speaking to the committed group here on a Thursday night. But all of us, as much as we say we want to be a part of the kingdom of God and we want God to use us, if we're not careful, we also then establish the terms by which He has to do that. God, I am more than willing to give you something. I don't mind giving you something, God. That's not an issue. Cain had no issue with offering a sacrifice. Cain was not at all having an issue with participating in what Abel was doing in offering a sacrifice. He just wanted to give what he wanted to give. God says, thanks, but no thanks. And Cain was very wroth. He was not happy. Isn't it interesting how the one, and I'm sorry, but what he gave cost a lot less than the one who gave something of value. That's the one that was upset. It, it, it never ceases to... I've watched this prior to preaching... And I watch it now when I preach. You preach a message and, and you feel, hopefully as best you can in your spirit, not your flesh, but you, you have some degree of a feeling of, of, of who God's trying to reach and who God's trying to talk to. You get up, you preach a message about hell, right? <laughs> you get up and preach a message about hell and, 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 and there's somebody that you have a burden for. I don't mean it critically or just. There's somebody that you are disturbed in your spirit over. And as you're preaching that message, you're preaching with a burden for them. God, somehow you gotta reach them. And, and you get to the altar call and you make an appeal to come and talk to God and make things right. And that person's sitting there picking their fingernails and checking their phone. And then somebody over here, uh, that, that, I mean, they're always seem to be doing the best they can and giving God the, they're the first one in the altar. You're like, really? I wasn't trying to get you down here. And please, I, some of you don't listen to me. You're going to take me wrong. I'm not talking about purposefully shooting. I'm talking about, again, a burden of compassion. The one that really was given something of significant value up was more than willing to give it. It was the one that was trying to give God a token offering. Kind of the same thing in a service where you encourage people to worship a little bit more. You encourage people to worship a little bit more and those that are already worshiping, man, they, they take it up another notch. And those that ain't doing nothing... They take it down another notch. <laughs> well, if that wasn't good enough, I got something else for you. We ought to, we ought to, I'm telling you what, y'all, there ain't nothing glamorous about being up here. I also, side note, I learned something a 
uh, back in October, I think it was. I preached for Brother Tabarez that afternoon. It was his 50th birthday, and his son had organized a surprise. I didn't even, I didn't really understand that Brother Tabarez didn't even know. He was already prepared to preach. Like, well, now you know what to preach next Sunday, I guess. You got something. And so we, we got done, and they had some other stuff planned, and I just didn't feel comfortable just rushing right out. And it was the Sunday of Antioch United, and I, uh, we, we got here, uh, I think uh, it was Nathaniel and Esther, I think, were the ones that went. And Angie was with me. And so we got here, and Bishop was actually already started preaching. And I literally, that whatever, I think it's the same as tonight, I was on the very back row. I've learned since then I caused a little bit of conversation at several homes what in the world is brother Wright doing on the very back row but i gotta tell you i I love y'all very much but i don't know how y'all sit i don't understand how you do it because as sincerely as i was trying to listen and be connected with what was I mean, Bishop preaching the word, and I think it was your, I think it was Emerson that night, I think. He gets about half, I'm pretty sure it was him, got about halfway down that back section, walked right out of his shoe and just kept on walking. He, I mean, just, <laughs> I'm bumping my, look at that cute, that is so cute. I don't, I don't understand, I I love y'all, and all y'all in the back, I love you. I'm just telling you, after having sat back there for a service, I don't know how you do it and get anything out of church, which that's the negative of up here. You also see everything. Some of y'all I do not want to look at during church. I love you, but I don't want to look at you. Some of y'all, some of y'all need to, we, we need to, we, we need to figure out, I'm, I'm really getting... I ain't gonna be here next Thursday. I'm not gonna be here Sunday and the following. So you gotta, you gotta. I haven't. We didn't have church last. I missed the last. Whatever it was, snow and all that. So now I forgot where I was going. Oh, I know. We need to. We need. We need to. Sister, where's Sister Stewart? Sorry. We we need to. We need to work on a way to to do a screenshot with the videos of every person during it, and then we we can give it to them discreetly. Because I really am not sure some of y'all know how you look. Because I'm like preaching and, oh God. <laughs> I, I, cross, I don't know when I did it, but I crossed them. Oh my goodness. You may, I don't know, inside you may be like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing. That's some good stuff, brother. That's some good stuff. I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that's what's going on. Because I got to tell you, that ain't what I'm seeing. <laughs> I'll give you what I want to give you. And then watch, watch ultimately what happens. And, and all of this is really not even the real thing that the Lord directed me to. Look at what happened. 
And the Lord said unto Cain, why are you wroth and why is your countenance fallen? Why, why are you upset? That, that tells me even more. He had to have known what was expected. When God is saying, when, when not only does God reject what he gives, but then God's saying, what's the deal, Cain? That tells me he had to have known. I mean, you know, it wasn't like God, it wasn't like a husband-wife moment. What's wrong? Nothing. Okay. We don't need to talk about it. Or all right, does that mean we really don't need to talk about it? Or does that a signal that we really do need to talk about it? It wasn't, it wasn't that kind of, God, God said, Cain, what's the problem? I don't understand why you're upset. The implication is, what he's saying is, you know what I expect, Cain. You know what I want. And so, why don't you just do it? Why is your countenance falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lieth at the door, and thou, and unto thee shall be his desire. And thou shalt rule over him. And the next couple of notes are out of order. I think. I've missed something. Where is it? I've messed up on my notes. Somebody got a Bible open? Help me here. Verse. Number eight. Somebody help read verse eight for him. So they're out in the field, and they now have this conversation, and Cain kills. His brother. Over what? Over the fact that God accepted what he gave and didn't accept what Cain had given. Listen, folks. Listen. We are not perfect. And we're never going to get perfect. And your brother's going to try to kill you. I just, brother, I don't know if I can take this place much longer. People trying to kill me. Well, why don't you take a step back for a moment and evaluate some things? Maybe, maybe the possibility is your name is Abel. And you're offering the right sacrifice. And you're giving God the right things. And maybe the one that's trying to kill you, his name is Cain. And they're trying to do it on their terms. And the problem is... If I want to do it on my terms and God's not accepting it, I got to eliminate all the competition. Next verse, 9, please. I don't I don't have it in my notes. I messed up. And the Lord says to Cain, Where is eight? Now now go back don't go in your mind. Go back to verse 8. They're out in the field. 
Cain is upset and he murders his brother. And now the Lord says to Abel, or excuse me, to Cain. Go ahead, Sister Perry. Uh huh. Where is Abel? And Cain responds. What? What do you mean, God? What do you mean, where's Abel? Am I my brother's keeper? Is it my responsibility to care for my brother? Is that my job? I don't know. Y'all all right? Y'all already home? Y'all already getting your snack after church on me? Or are we still here? Uh, Cain, where is that? What do you mean? Where's, I don't know where Abel is. You, you what? And then he has the audacity to then ask the question, am I my brother's keeper? The Living Bible, verse 9, says it this way. I do have verse 9 in a couple of translations. But afterwards, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? How should I know, Cain retorted? Am I supposed to keep track of him wherever he goes? The Message Bible, God said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, how should I know? Am I his babysitter? This is kind of what I expect to hear at my house. <laughs> Later, the Lord, the living, uh, easy to read version, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain answered, I don't know. Is it my job to watch over my brother? In Good News Translation, the Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He answered, I don't know. Am I supposed to take care of my brother? I mean, can you? I mean, he's, he's, he's talking to God. Can, there is, there is, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe some of you young, you, you fathers now with the young children, maybe you've got, there is my my. my my peers, some of the guys I grew up with, we, we talk about that look that our dad had. That look. I've been, I've been parenting for almost 21 years now. I have been a dad for 21 years. And at 46 years old, I feel like I have still not discovered that look. Because when my dad had that look, it was all over with. My dad gave me that look. It was, it was, oh, yes, sir. I'm like, yeah. I'm trying every look I can figure out, man. They don't. I have yet to discover it. Cain, Cain's going back and forth with God. What are you asking me for? The, and, and here's what boggles my mind. The audacity to have this kind of reaction after what you've just done. I mean, it's one thing if I say, Timothy, where's Nathaniel? I don't know. 
Timothy, where's your brother? I don't, what do you mean? Where's your sister? What, what do you mean? I kind of, you know, okay. May not like the response, but kind of understandable. And if you got no idea, you got no idea. But Cain, not only does he know where he is, he just killed him. Oh, no. What do you mean, where's my brother? And then, then the icing on the cake to me, he says, Am I my brother's keeper? Is it my job to babysit my brother? Is it my job to take care of my brother? Apparently God had him at God asked him the question because there was a level of expectation that you know and you should know where your brother is. But you see the tiller is only concerned about his world. Is only looking out for himself. So I go back to my question as my title, are you a keeper or are you a tiller? And I ask us tonight as a congregation the same question God asked Cain. Where's your brother? Where's your brother? The word keeper, I already read that to you. That can or excuse me, that Abel was a keeper of sheep. I read that word. It's to to shepherd, it's to take care of, to pasture, whatever. But the word keeper in this verse where Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? It's the same English word, but the Hebrew word is not the same definition. Because here, the Hebrew word means to keep, to guard, to observe, to give, to give heed, to keep, to have charge of, to keep, to guard, to keep watch and ward, to protect, to save life. To watch or to be a watchman. It is to keep, to retain, to treasure up. It's to observe, to celebrate, to keep as in the Sabbath or covenant or commands, to perform as a vow, to be one's guard, to take heed, to take care, to beware, to be kept, to be guarded, to keep, to pay heed. So... Ask the question this way, God, is it my job to guard my brother? Is it my job, God, to keep watch over my brother? Is it my responsibility, God, to know where my brother is? The attitude of the one that's trying to do it his way on his terms says, my brother ain't my problem. <laughs> not only is it not my problem to care for him, but I'm going to get him out of my way. 
care for him? Forget that. I'm eliminating him because he's part of the source of my problem. Am I my brother's guardian? Am I, am I the one that's to care for my brother? I ask you tonight, are you your, and I use the term brother generically, fill in the blank sister, are you your brother's keeper? Or organic things, living things, do not have to have somebody organizing and running systems and processes. Stay with me. Say it again. Organic things. There is no committee that needs to run the circulation of the blood in my body. There is not a director of my heart whose responsibility it is to organize the functions of my heart. When we, (laughs) oh Lord, when we have to create all kinds of processes and manufacture ways to do things, what we're saying is something is not living. Oh, hallelujah. We, we, we shouldn't have to organize. We need to know it's being done. We, we need to have accountability, but we shouldn't have to organize and try to motivate. Where's your brother? How's your brother? How's your sister doing? Am I? God, am I? I mean, how come you're asking me that? Do you expect me? Obviously, and I understand there's context and there's circumstances here, but, but obviously there is a level of expectation that I think God had that I expect you to know where your brother is. I expect you to have a knowledge. I expect you to care for. I I expect you to be looking out and guarding. Not, ha, yeah, you got what you, you, yeah, you had that coming. Don't come to me, you had that coming. You got what you deserve. What? When you guard, when you keep, when you preserve. You're, oh God, I, I know, I know they might deserve some stuff, God, but that's my brother. That's my brother, God, and, and, what's the old song says? He ain't heavy. He's my brother. The tiller is out to eliminate competition and get rid of those around him that are a threat to him. The keeper, the guardian, is looking to 
preserve and care for and uplift. The keeper is a conduit of love. You know what? Don't say you love when you go telling everybody's faults. I, 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 this, this thought, I don't know if it was the Lord spoke to me or just gave me the thought or what, but this thought came to me the other day. It's a whole lot easier to tell somebody, to be able to tell somebody, I don't know, than it is to try to tell somebody, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. If you're trying to get information from me and I don't know, I don't know. But when I do know, well, I'm I'm sorry, I can't. And then I got to tell you, you got to be you got to be a pretty spiritual person in the right situation with God to not use that with a little bit of well, you know, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. But you know what? If you'll press me a little bit more, I'll. I mean, I won't tell you everything, but I'll just. Can, can I? You know what? I I believe with all of my heart that 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 the greatest days of harvest are in our future. Preached it Sunday night, basically. Part of the I believe the greatest harvest is in front of us. Can I, can I challenge you folks tonight that hopefully all of us will be a part of reaching the lost and discipling people into the kingdom. So hopefully I'm speaking to everybody. Be, be, be careful what you go telling about the person that gets saved. You know what? If they came out of a, a lifestyle of immorality... Homosexuality. You know, and I know we do it oftentimes. We do it, you know, I think intention, we, our intent is sincere, but I don't think we also understand what, man, guess what, guess what God saved them from. Is that great that God saved them from it? Absolutely. But the, there's a real good chance. They're already going to have a battle with shame to overcome to have to sit and worry about, you know what, everybody knows what I was. If they want to tell it, let them tell it. But you don't have to tell it all. Because love covers it doesn't hide in the sense of dishonesty. It hides in the sense of, I, I, I care about you. I, I'm trying to protect you. So it's, I'm going to say it again because some of you get a little irritated when you're not in the know. That, you don't understand the blessing. Years ago, I got it. And this was the first go around in Arnold when I was the first time around leading Arnold. There, there was there was one situation in particular. This individual went to a to another uh, daughter work leader at that point in time for for for, for some marital counseling. And I, I'll be honest, at first there was a little bit of something rose up inside of me, like you know, first of all, with the daughter work, who do you think you are? That person's in my congregation. 
And then with them, well, what, what's wrong with me? How come? But then I got the, then I got a whole different twist on it. I'm like, you know what? And they were going through some pretty difficult things. I got, I got the revelation. You know how much better it is for me to stand here, number one, not to sit there and look at them and go, you hypocrite. Got your hands up doing your thing. You are such a fake. Or to be able to preach whatever God gave me to preach and then be able to know if it hits you right between the eyeballs, I'm sorry, I don't know what's going on. I'm scaring all of you off from ever coming to talk to me for counseling. I got plenty to do, so hey, that's all right. I'm going to go back to it. Some of you want to know everything. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be offensive, but this is a term that would be used in the Bible. You're a fool. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Let me give you an example, and I'm going to try to do this really quickly and, 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 and hit, the, hit the runway. Here you, have, here you have blood brothers. We've just read blood brothers, blood brothers. A blood brother murders his brother. Watch this. Watch this. 1 Samuel 18 and 1. I believe this is a great example example of what a true brother's keeper looks like. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit, excuse me, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, his garments, his sword, his bow, and to his girdle. You understand that based on biblical patterns and principles, David was taking what Jonathan had every right to expect. That Jonathan had the right to to become the king. And here comes this guy that God has chosen because of his father's actions and behaviors And rather than resenting him, rather than trying to find a way to get rid of him, Jonathan loves him as if it was his own soul. 1 Samuel 20, verse 25. And the king sat upon there. There's some tensions that have been building between Saul and David, or at least from Saul's perspective, 
David was just trying to do his job and be who he was supposed to be, but Saul is envious and trying to get rid of him. And the king sat upon his seat, as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for the thought, something hath befallen him. He is not clean, surely he is not clean. And it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet neither yesterday nor today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, Let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath a sacrifice in the city. And my brother, he hath commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore he cometh not unto the king's table. So then Saul's... Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Do you hear what, do you hear what Saul's saying to Jonathan? Dude, what's your problem? Don't you realize this guy is your threat? And that as long as he's around, you can never become who you're supposed to be? Saul's trying to partner up with Jonathan to get rid of David. If it was Cain, David would have been done. Because when you put Cain's attitude and spirit with somebody else that's now trying to help him, it's over with. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? What are you so upset about? He hadn't done anything. Anybody remember a few chapters, I think it is, before this, where David is playing his harp for Saul because he's troubled by the evil spirit? And what does Saul do to David? Throws his javelin at him two times. And Saul cast a javelin at him. Who's the him here? Jonathan, to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Saul is so upset, he's trying to kill his own son now. Not Not only am I trying to kill the one that's trying to take my place, I'm now going to try to kill the one that's trying to help him out. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. Fierce anger at who? Fierce anger at David because of all the trouble he's caused him? The issues he's making in his life? Fierce anger at David because David's caused there to be a wedge between him and his father and his own father to try to kill him? Is that that what Jonathan's angry about? No, he's angry at what his dad's trying to do to David. 
and he did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. God asks Cain a question that he knows the answer to, and Cain gets lies about the answer and gets offended over being asked the question. God never had to ask Jonathan the question. Jonathan, are you your brother David's keeper? Never had to ask it. Because Jonathan was a guard, a protector. He was looking out for those around him. Cain had become enslaved by his earthly natural pursuits. And anything and anything that was a threat and got in the way, he was going to do whatever he had to do to eliminate it. But Jonathan was a shepherd, if you will. The heart of a shepherd. And rather than trying to eliminate the threats and the opposition, he is protecting. He is working for and with. <laughs> but essentially is his opposition, his threat. We're, we're I feel like, especially even just these last few weeks, I feel like God is giving me some more clear direction we need to do moving forward and ways in which we need to be structured. And I feel like just even in the last week or two, there's some clarity that's starting to come in some areas that I really struggle with clarity in. But the bottom line to me is this. It doesn't matter what system we come up with and try to implement. It doesn't matter what structure we try to put in place, Sister Carrie, if our hearts are not where they need to be. A structure may produce a temporary change. But if the heart is not where it should be, the temporary change by just a structural change will wear off. My burden, my burden amongst other burdens, but one of my great burdens right now is that God would cause us more than ever without a system, without me having to put a bunch of slides on the screen to show you a plan, that God would produce within our hearts the spirit, the attitude of a brother's keeper. Do we need 
processes and systems in place to be able to to have some communication and accountability. I, I, I do think that needs to be the case, but when our hearts are not where they need to be, when our spirits are not right, that is such a drudgery. And it becomes such a battle trying to motivate and keep motivation. I don't, I don't, I don't need a system to make sure that I keep tabs on where my kids are. I that you may be a you may be a privacy person and stand for all that and so be it. But I, I got to tell you, and that. I don't think it's any secret to them. I know it's not a secret to them. I, I, I heard about it for a while and never used it. But I, I, one of my favorite apps on the iPhone is the Find My Phone app. Or the Find Friends app. Where, and you can... Believe it if you want to or not, I could care less. As long as God knows my heart, that's all that matters. Not so I can keep tabs on where my kids are and make sure they're not in the place. But there's just something reassuring. Especially in this crazy world. To be able to get an idea where they are. I don't, I don't have, I, I, I don't, I don't have to report that to Fellowship One, Brother Barr. I don't need a program for that. I need an app to be able to do it, but the app's not what motivates me. My heart, my care, my concern for those that I love dearly, deeply, I don't know what good it does, but I've been checking to find my phone app. Some of you know, some of you may not know, my daughters are in Latvia. It actually makes me want to cry when you pull that up and you got three phones, four phones on the East Coast and 4,000 miles away, too. I wonder, I'm quitting, I got five minutes before... You have to carry your pumpkin in the parking lot home. Can't ride in your chariot. I wonder. Let me let me just put it to you this way. There are there are. I don't know what's what's the count tonight. What well, we got? One seventy one. There should there there's there's probably. I'd say if we looked at a. A list of names. There's probably easily 250 plus people that that reasonably could it be expected to be here tonight. That whether it's sickness or job situations or whatever that aren't here, but that a lot of times are here. Here's my question. I wonder if somehow for every single one of those people, there's a brother, and I'm using that again generically. But I wonder if there's a brother here tonight for every single one of those people that at some point there's a brother's keeper that's looked around and said, you know what, I I don't think I see so-and-so tonight. They're probably not backsliding. They're probably not out at the bar getting drunk. 
They're, they're, they're probably not doing all those things, but is there a brother's keeper here tonight that has recognized that? And you're not going to walk out of here and just care about your few crops that you're trying to present to God, but there is a sense of responsibility that you have that I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't have to have a position or a title. I have a burden, and so I care about my brother. Am I, am I, my brother's keeper? If my brother is a threat to me, if my brother is a source of competition, then I'm probably working to try to eliminate, get him out of the way. Is there anybody here tonight that you wouldn't love to know for sure that you have a Jonathan in your life? So I'll take a moment to give Jonathan his due. Love, that's, that's one of the lovely experiences of being the, the PK when your dad uses you all eyes. So now that we've gotten that part over with, wouldn't it be great to know that in my life, the same way in which David had a Jonathan whose soul was knit, that I've got that. But here's the flip side of that coin. Who? Who can I be a Jonathan to? Who can I allow my soul to be knit with? That I'm not looking out for my own interests first and foremost, but I've got my brother's interests at heart. And he's not a threat to me that I've got to look to eliminate, but I can figure out a way. to lay aside my jealousies, my envy, the things that are going to cause me to want to kill him, <laughs> and to work to preserve. Rather than all the commotion and disruption of you standing, I'm going to let you just stay seated for just a moment as we close with prayer. Would you, would you join me in this prayer tonight and say it somehow in your own words or you just repeat what I say, I guess that's fine, but would you join me in, I want us to start here right now, but hopefully some of you will join me in it, not just being a prayer in this service tonight, but could we at least start tonight, God, stir up within us the spirit of a Jonathan, of being my brother's keeper. Put within this group of people, God, the heart of a Jonathan that is a brother's keeper. God, I'm asking you tonight, Lord, 
that you would allow within this congregation, within this group of people, that your spirit would stir within every single one of us, God. Not out of an obligation, not out of a job, not out of a position or responsibility because of a position, but God, as a result of something working and moving in our hearts and spirits, there would be in this congregation a genuine demonstration of what it means to be my brother's keeper. In the name of Jesus Christ, help us tonight. God, somehow in the same way that there was a knitting of the soul of Jonathan and David that produced a bond and a loyalty between them that caused Jonathan to be willing to do whatever was necessary to save David's life rather than seeing him eliminated and moved out of the way, that that would be the same heart, the same attitude, the same spirit that develops within us. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, God, this is your body. This is a living organism. This is not an organization. This is not a man-made, man-produced thing. This is your body, God. And so as your body, let your spirit produce what is needed. God, we don't want to have to manufacture, produce what should be the result of the, of the living body that you have created. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus God, I ask you tonight as we are embarking upon this new year, you would stir within this group of people like never before the spirit, the attitude, the willingness to be my brother's keeper. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, we come against tonight the spirit of Cain that would try to work its way into our midst, work its way into our lives. God, let the spirit, the attitude of Abel prevail. Let the heart of Jonathan prevail in us. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I ask you again in dismissal that you would please keep my wife and I in your prayers as we travel. And we look forward to seeing you in a few days. In Jesus' name.